Excellent. Excellent. Well, thanks for joining me today on the Secrets of Success podcast with Dr. Shane Needham. We're going to talk about some really great things today. Let me get some introductions out of the way. So thanks again for joining us on the Secrets of Success podcast with Dr. Shane Needham, where you can find previous podcasts on SoundCloud, on iTunes, on Spotify, and also on Let's see, iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, and also YouTube channel. And you can find me on LinkedIn. You can find me on Facebook where we're streaming live right now. And we can we, we can take your questions online. You can you can comment online on the live stream. You can find me on Facebook at Shane Needham. You can also find me on Instagram and LinkedIn. So thank you, viewers. Thank you, listeners. We've had a great success for 2020 when we launched. We've been doing this for almost a year now or about a year. And it's just been a, a wonderful success. And I have learned so much, networked with so many people, and I hope you have learned a lot too. So what is our theme? Our theme is never be outworked. What do we talk about? And we talk about never being outworked, and sometimes that's never giving up. And we talk about all things from me being an entrepreneur, a business owner, a scientist, but also um, um, in my spare time as an amateur, bodybuilder, powerlifter, coach, all those things that being an entrepreneur has allowed me to be. And of course, my most important job is being a disciple and also a father of four wonderful children. So thanks again for joining us, Pete. And um, without with, with without further, further ado, please introduce yourself. Tell us about yourself. And you know, we talk a lot about careers here. We talk a lot about business and we'll focus a little bit on that today. But I don't ever want anybody to paint themselves with one brush because we're always more than what our job title is. And uh, job titles go away. We're replaced by somebody else. And it's how, what kind of an impact do we want to leave in this world? So talk about everything and start wherever you want, Pete. Okay. Uh, thanks, Shane. So uh, Pete Tortorelli, I am the managing director now of Omni International. Uh, we we had a title change. Uh, we were recently acquired about three months ago by Perkinover. So congratulations, uh, by the way. Thank you very much. Uh, great organization. Uh, still trying to network my way through. Uh, a little bit of a difference uh, between being a fifty-person company and a thirteen-thousand-person company. So um, I've been in the business, uh, life science business, here with Omni and with other companies. Uh, since the mid, actually the early 1990s. Wow. So going on 25 to 30 years. Wow. And just blessed to be part of a great, great uh, society of scientists and salespeople and just really good people. And I've been very fortunate in my life. That's that's amazing. So Let's go back a little bit. So, um, where where did you where did you um, go to school? Where did you get your 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 educational training? Actually, I grew up in the Northeast. I went to an engineering college that is actually now defunct, um, <laughs> which is what was it which called? Is always good. It was called Waterbury State Technical College. So, was that and in Waterbury, Connecticut? That's in Connecticut. It's actually now part of the University of Connecticut uh, system. Okay. So, uh, kind of by proxy, I went to UConn uh, before they. That's what I tell people because everybody knows who's U, who UConn is, right. uh, but no one knows what Waterbury State is. So, went to school there, uh, got a degree in computer science. Never worked a day in my life in computers. Uh, 
just hated it. Actually, couldn't couldn't stand <laughs> programming. Um, but I got a scholarship. I got a free ride through school. Uh, it was either computer science or uh, electrical or mechanical or chemical engineering, and all the girls were in uh, computer science, so that's what I took. <laughs> well, if that worked yeah. out for you, that's great. So, were you born and raised in Connecticut then? Born and raised in Connecticut until I was uh, 25 years old. Oh, wow. I did not know that. Well, so what yeah. part of Connecticut? Uh, right on the town line of Waterbury and Wolkett, which is almost smack dab in the center of the state. Okay. Where, so is uh, that south of Hartford then? It is southwest of Hartford. Okay. Got it. So halfway between Hartford and New Haven. Oh, is that right? Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Perfect. Um, so I, when I worked for um, Pfizer in Groton, Connecticut, I, I knew a little bit about, I didn't really go that way much. A few times I flew out of Hartford, but then we started flying out of Rhode Island, but uh, or out of Providence. But um, anyway, a great state, but I had no idea you're actually from the, from the Northeast. I, I have a funny story. So when I first moved there in 1993 for my first career position at Pfizer as a scientist, and I, I you know, here on the radio, this is, of course, pre-internet, pre-social media, and you'd always hear about this, this, this place, Yukon, Yukon, Yukon. This makes me sound so ignorant, but this is what I didn't know about the Northeast. I thought it was like spelled Y-U-K-O-N. I thought it was like Yukon <laughs> Territories from Canada or something. <laughs> I had no clue. It took me like a year. It's like Yukon, Yukon. Oh, University of Connecticut. Mm -hmm. But uh, any, anyway, so so how did how did we meet, Pete? I don't know. I, it was. I think it was at a trade show. It might have been AOAC um, or. Was it AAPS? It could have been an AAPS show. You had yeah. a booth. Yeah. And I had a booth, uh, I think, almost like directly across. Oh, and, yeah, I think so. And, and anytime you, uh, for your listeners, anytime you attend a trade show, you get really busy for about maybe two hours of the day and six hours of the day. You could pretty much kick a soccer ball uh, and not hit anybody in the conference <laughs> hall. So I'm sure we started a conversation. Yeah. Um, and then uh, your business uh, bought some equipment from us, and we just kind of communicated over the past, I don't know, 15, 20 years. Yeah. So we, we've known each other a long time. I know it has been. I mean, we definitely don't see each other a lot, especially because of COVID now. But right. um, I remember a book that you – we were talking. This was when – I guess yeah, it was probably 15 or – 18 years ago when we met, I don't know exactly the date either. I mean, and you know, as well as I do, when you're traveling to trade shows, um, you don't even remember where they were at. People are like, well, you right. don't remember when you went to Houston? No, I don't actually. Right. Houston looks the same as, um, uh, Lincoln city. You know, it looks at, or, or the, as Lincoln, Nebraska. When you're in a trade show, you get in a, yeah. you, you fly into an airport, you get into a cab, you go to the trade show and then you go back to your hotel room and have some dinners with clients and so on and so forth. But, you gave me, it was when, um, and, it, and it's still obviously a, a, a growing economic trend, but it was when offshoring was becoming really big, offshoring to Asia. And you gave me a book. Do you remember the book? I do. It was called Poorly Made in China. <laughs> Actually, this, it may be, I thought it was called The China Price. Could have been. I don't know. I gave you a book. I remember yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> I don't was, remember the title. I uh, love book yeah. and it was the stories oh my goodness because and it was just about the quality the quality of things that and the things that were done that were just culturally accepted there right that really if if people knew how their products were manufactured and then sent to the states they would probably never buy them 
I mean, yeah, just, I, I, I will say that uh, manufacturing over the past five to 10 years offshore has dramatically improved. I'm sure. Um, it had, it had and I know, I know what the company that I'm with now, um, they actually, I believe, employ more people in China than they do in the United States. Wow. So, so yeah, things had, have changed quite a bit. I'm glad. I'm glad. That's better for the consumer. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's, you know, that's a better, that better for the market and anything that's better for the consumer is better for, better for, um, better for the whole market. And so, so I think that's how we met at a, probably a trade show. I have no idea what the location was, but tell us a little bit about your, your role. So you were CEO at Omni International and now you're managing director. So tell us about your business, your role there. Um, what's, what's challenging about it. What's the most rewarding part about it? Go. Sure. So uh, I started out here um, really, I think, part-time, putting parts together uh, as a second job. And over time, that uh, turned into a full-time job. Uh, and it was more manufacturing-related. So I ran the manufacturing end of the business, worked my way up, purchasing and inventory and manufacturing management, um, and then moved into sales believe it or not. Wow. I didn't know that. <clears throat> Moved into sales, opened a sales office in Northern Virginia, uh, lived there for a few years and then um, moved to Atlanta. With and the then why, why, so you started out in Connecticut. Is that where you started? Yes. So the business had three owners at one okay. point. Okay. Uh, two of the owners took over and fired the third owner uh, okay. who went out and started a competing business, believe it or not. Wow. Okay. And so the two owners uh, who were involved in the business in Connecticut both lived out of state. Uh, one lived in Delaware, one lived in Virginia. And so what happened was they decided they were going to move out of Connecticut because at the time it was not a very business uh, friendly climate. And uh, where do you go when you're looking to sell to scientists who are funded? But you go near NIH. So that's where we went. We went to Northern Virginia, opened up a sales office, uh, was there for a couple of years. Uh, and then I moved uh, to work for the other owner here in Atlanta uh, in 1994, 95. And is that where the manufacturing was done or something? Yes. Or was, was, yes. Oh, at, at, the, at the time, they were going to combine both sites here in the Atlanta area. And that didn't happen. And I actually quit uh, Omni. And was really? gone for five years. Yes. Oh wow. Gone for five years, and um, when the two owners got back together after I had left uh, and consolidated, meaning one owner bought out the other owner, uh, the one remaining owner called me back and said, "Hey, I really would like to talk to you about coming back to work for me." And uh, you know, I, I bought out the other guy, and what do you say? And I told him, "No, I'm not interested. I don't want to come back." <laughs> and uh, it was funny because I talked to my wife at the time and she said, I really think you should talk to him. And so went back and had a series of conversations. And that was October of 2004. And uh, here I am 16 and a half years later, still here. Wow. And so, what, yeah. what position did he bring you back as? Uh, general manager. So oh. I and at that time we were very small. Uh, maybe 12 employees. And so I, I, I kind of did everything, ran sales, ran manufacturing. Wow. Um, and then over the years, we, we slowly grew. Um, 
until about five years ago where we had a really big growth spurt. We added a specific type of product here in the company and, and then the company took off, uh, grew to where we are now. And that owner decided last year he wanted to sell. And so, um, during the Omni sales sweepstakes, the, the winner was Perkin Elmer. And so that's awesome. Yeah. Well, they got it. They, 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 they got a really good um, company with a good leader and a good team. And I think that's I think I great. What, what would you say is the most challenging part of your position? Wow. You know, you and I were, were chatting a few minutes ago. Um, I think it's trying to lead people when you don't have any experience leading in that time frame if that makes sense. So for instance, what I'm thinking is COVID. And so, you know, we, yeah, we went through a period where, you know, we hit the rocks last year. Uh, it was, it was bad for several months and there, there's no handbook that you can read. There's nobody you can really talk to that basically says, Hey, I've done this. I've been through a, a global pandemic and I've seen my sales cut in half and this is what you do. And yeah. So, so, so tell us about that. What did you, what did you do? What, what was the, and what do you think was the, was the, was the key to the success? So, um, we had a lot of problems, um, uh, going into March of last year, our, our sales were kind of stagnant, uh, sales globally were stagnant. And I, I did a lot of traveling January and February of last year and asked a lot of people, including my competitors. At, at trade shows, yeah. hey, what's your business like? What are things? Yeah. What are things, you know, looking like for you on the horizon? And it looked like we were starting to slow down a little bit globally. Um, and then when COVID hit, everything just stopped. So if you weren't selling PPE or you weren't selling equipment that was specifically part of an RT-PCR test, then you weren't selling. Yeah, and that's kind of what happened to us. So uh, nobody wanted a homogenizer yeah. right that's what we sell so um we had to make some hard choices and so describe describe to some of the a lot of the viewers are not scientists describe what a homogenizer does and describe how you guys pivoted which i think is an awesome success story so describe the before and the after covid so in layman's terms a homogenizer is basically a blender so it'll take a solid sample and turn it into a liquid. Uh, and there are several different types of technology you can use to do that. There's uh, blades like a blender. There are uh, ultrasonic um, disruption devices, which we also sell. And then there are beads, bead beading, uh, which is basically uh, a projectile that you put in a tube, you shake it extremely fast, get a lot of energy, and that bead collides with the sample and pulverizes it. So describe so, some of these samples because this is this is my area of expertise. Mm -hmm. Well, that's why we've worked with with Pete and and Omni for years. Is we analyze um, therapeutics or drugs and metabolites. My company does in biological fluids and biolog biological tissues, and so um, you sometimes have to grind these tissues up to see where where this drug or where you have exposure to this therapeutic, and so all kinds of tissues and the technology is actually amazing. I mean, it can, it can grind and pulverize many, many things. And so 
can you describe that in better detail? Um, sure. So we work with uh, different types of tissues. So in, in um, admetox, um, drug development, anytime where you have a lot of different tissues that have to be um, ground down or uh, reduced in, in particle size so that you can extract something from that sample. You're looking for an analyte, you're looking for a protein, um, you're looking for something. And that's what we do. We, so we also- tissues that are important, for example, it, depending on the type of therapeutic, it can be all over the body. It can be mm -hmm. um, distributed all over the body. We're trying to use layman's terms here. And right. so obviously um, you're doing a lot, most of these experiments in, in rats and mice, for example, and you're looking at does, does the drug go to the liver? Does it go to the kidneys? Does it go to the brain? Sometimes you want it in the brain for a certain, you know, central nervous system drugs. You want them in the brain, right? Right. And so those are the types of tissues that you might be dealing with and all, all the way from skin, fingernails, hair, liver, kidneys, lung, brain, it goes on and on and on. And so designing des devices to actually make sure you can get a homogenous sample to where you turn it into a liquid. So it's not just one big piece of something, which is not good analytically. It's not precise and reproducible. And so they design awesome, incredible instruments. So that's the, that's the before. Mm -hmm. COVID hits, all of a sudden, uh-oh. Yeah, so COVID hits and, and yeah. our business is just, it's in the crapper. I mean, we're, we, our sales are down by 50%. Um, and we're three to four months into this, we have to do a staff reduction. We're looking at a second round of staff reductions and we have an in-house lab. We're trying to figure out how we can be relevant in, in this test. And so what we came up with was, well, if you're doing a, a nasal pharyngeal swab and you're putting it in VTM, which is uh, viral transport media, uh, you have to go through this extraction process. What if we were to bead beat that swab and, and make it easier to release the, the, the RNA uh, to, get a, to get a test result? And so we did that and we published on it. And we felt like, hey, we're going to save a lot of time. We're going to save people money by putting homogenizers in the front end. And so we released some papers. We did some articles. We called everybody we knew. Nothing. No response. No one was interested uh, because we didn't have uh, what's called an EUA at the time. So uh, EUA, describe what that is. To the so during the pandemic, the FDA came up with is instead of a long, maybe multi-year approval process for a test or a diagnostic test, they came up with an emergency use authorization that they would give you, which was fast-tracked. And so we had applied for that, <clears throat> but because we didn't have a lab that worked with COVID positive samples, we had a problem getting that through. So basically we were stuck and now we're June, July timeframe. And to make a long story short, we had a customer at uh, Georgia Tech, Georgia Institute of Technology that had received a bunch of funding from the state of Georgia to come up with a test, an RT-PCR test, non-invasive, cheap, easy, effective that could be deployed on campus. And they wanted to use saliva. 
So what they found was collecting saliva samples, <clears throat> excuse me, they found a lot of variation. Some of it wasn't even pipettable. You couldn't move it downstream uh, with a liquid handler. So yeah, and they called us and said, would you mind giving us a demo of one of your machines? We think it might work for the front end. So our sales rep took one down there and lo and behold, it worked. It worked fabulously. So was it, was it, were they not pipe? So was this what the, they used to swab or is it still a pipe and a liquid or what? Well, Tell no, see, that they didn't want to use swabs, right? And so what the people at Georgia Tech and Georgia Emergency Management Association wanted to do was make an easy to administer test. And they felt like if you spit into a tube and collect that, we can get students to do that. You know, we don't want to take a student and have to shove something up their nose and be invasive. And they were right. This test came back um, with great results. Um, and then they started to network throughout the state. So Georgia Tech shared their data with Augusta University, which used to be a medical college in Georgia. Uh, they did some papers on it, got published. They started testing students. Georgia Tech is testing students, University of Georgia, Georgia Southern, Georgia State, wow. um, basically every school in the university system of Georgia started doing this. And recently we started working with Emory. Um, but unlike the rest of the schools that, that are doing a PCR test, Emory's doing an antigen test oh, with saliva. So yeah, so we went from basically trying to figure out how we were going to keep the doors open to tripling our sales literally almost overnight. <laughs> it was just amazing. It was feast or famine. That's great. Wow. That is, I mean, stressful. Okay. I want to know the science a little bit here. Are the, are, 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 is the data showing that a saliva sample was actually not very homogenous and it needed to be homogenized? Well, the problem was they couldn't even test the saliva sample, right? So, so if you eat something in the morning or you don't brush your teeth or if you're sick, the viscosity of the saliva, um, it could have a lot of mucus, it could have a lot of food particles in it, makes it unworkable, untenable. And so they had to come up with a way to liquefy the saliva to make it work throughout the rest of the instrumentation. And that's what we do. Wow, that is right. so cool. That is, and that, I mean, that led to your owner was in a position where he wanted to, wanted to sell and monetize the business. Mm -hmm. And then that led to more interest in the business. I think that is a great story. And it led to an acquisition, correct? Yeah, actually what happened was um, the gentleman at Augusta University, uh, a gentleman by the name of uh, Dr. Ravi Coley was doing a paper on the efficacy of saliva testing, has since done another paper on pooling, saliva pooling. And he also was working with Perkin Elmer. So they had some of their instruments in the lab. And what he found was when he put our homogenizer on the front end of the Perkin Elmer workflow, it worked way better than if they didn't have it. So this got back to Perkin Elmer. And it just so happens that one of the general managers uh, at Perkinomer of the Applied Genomics Division is a guy by the name of James Atwood, who used to be a colleague. He used to work here at Omni. <laughs> and, and so he got in touch with us and said, what are you guys doing, you know, in, in, in SARS-CoV-2 testing? 
you know, I heard that you guys are selling homogenizers. And he said, yeah. And so we got together and this is in August of last year. And we actually made a product for Perkin Elmer uh, in about six weeks, fast tracked it. Uh, that product got a CE IVD approval um, for the entire saliva SARS-CoV-2 testing workflow. And then from there, uh, they purchased us, they acquired us. So the owner, the owner, you know, for political reasons saw uh, that, you know, if he was going to sell um, from a tax standpoint, it was probably beneficial to him to sell before uh, the election cycle and, and a new administration came in. So that was his opinion. And he wanted to get out before the end of the year. And he, he achieved his goal of selling the company. So we actually, yeah, we sold the business actually in six weeks. Wow. That is unheard which, of. Which is another story altogether for a whole nother podcast. <laughs> how, do, how do you sell a business in six weeks? Wow. Yeah. Had, you, had you guys already pretty much done due diligence and you had audited financial statements and all that over the years? Or was it a rush to do all that as well? It was, it, no, we didn't have any of that. So understand, so we, <laughs> Omni was a small business, right? Yeah. I mean, we're, we're under 50 employees, yeah. um, single owner. Um, no other shareholders. So most of what you need to, to market the business, we didn't have, you know, we didn't have any of the, the financial data. We hadn't done due diligence. We hadn't put anything together. And so we started that process, I would say October, September of October of last year and had three suitors uh, all in quick succession that we populated this for. And when um, Perkin Elmer signed an LOI with us, um, we had a little over six weeks to make that deal happen. And we did it. That's awesome. Congratulations. Yeah. Thank you. So was that, was that stressful, but it rewarded at the same time, that whole that <laughs> Yeah. So you're basically working two full-time jobs, right? You're working a job to run the business, which still had to be run. Um, in an atmosphere where you're actually growing sales through your COVID channels, right? And by the way, you know, other labs are starting to come back online. So your core business is picking up. And so you're doing eight to 10 hours a day. And then another, you know, six to eight hours trying to populate all this data for attorneys and, and accountants and consultants and, you know, potential buyers. So it was nerve wracking, very nerve wracking. Wow. Wow. We learned a lot. Kudos to you. That's and so what what does the future hold for for you and the organization? Great question. So um we are we are now part of Perkin Elmer uh, and we are part of the applied genomics division. For those of you that aren't in science, they have a an amazing reputation. Uh, mm -hmm. are they still a Connecticut-based company? They are based in Hopkinton, Massachusetts. They have locations uh, all over the world. So okay. Hopkinton, Waltham, Mass. They have a facility in Shelton, Connecticut. Okay. Um, they have facilities. Where they, where they were founded is in Connecticut. Isn't I that? believe so. I believe yeah. they were. Yeah. And so you know we're we have spent the past three months uh, trying to onboard uh, ourselves and with HR and Perkin Elmer into the the different systems and, and uh, cultures that are part of a larger company. And it's, uh, it's been, it's been a, an education 
the other thing is that, you know, Perk and Elmer bought four companies, I think three or four companies all at the same time. And so, yeah, so their, their people are, you know, going nonstop trying to get everybody acclimated and onboarded. And uh, so we keeping our fingers crossed, we think we got it done. Yeah. Um, now that we're almost through Q1 and the future now is to start marketing our products through the different Perkinomer channels, That's awesome. which is exciting because we're meeting all new people, training new people and, you know, um, and it, it open up a whole new window for you guys, a whole bunch of opportunities. Absolutely. You know, I, it, six months ago, I couldn't even tell you what applied genomics was, yeah. you know, so, right. uh, now we're, we're part of that division, but also, uh, selling through their other divisions, life science, food, agriculture, diagnostics, and, you know, coming up with different workflows that we didn't have access to before, right. you know, and different yeah. collaboration partners. Yeah, as, as a small business, you don't have that bandwidth, but all those industries that you just named, they all need homogenizers. Absolutely. Every lab in the world, every R&D lab has to have a homogenizer. They do. <laughs> so we're, I'm like a kid in a candy store right now. I, I don't know where to go first, you know, and it's... Uh, <laughs> having a lot of fun it's a lot of work but man i'll tell you what it's very rewarding that's good that's so yeah. good to, that's so good to hear well i've heard great things about you as a leader and as a, you know as a um going through tough times i know that's the hardest part and but you can tell it's very rewarding to you and you can see the passion of of you just leading people and so i think that's that's wonderful so so i know another thing that's big to you your faith mm -hmm. and i i only found this out a couple of months ago um, when we were talking about having you on my podcast and just kind of reconnecting and just your faith is big to you. I didn't know that. I, I suspected it, to be honest with you. Usually you can kind of tell, but can you talk about how faith has played a role in your life? Um, you know, even pre-career, but with your relationships, with everything you do and how it drives you? Yeah, sure. I'd, I'd, I'd love to. So I am uh, I'm a Christian. Um, I was born again in 1996 right before my my first child was born my daughter and so um it's it's been an amazing journey just to live out faith because the the thing that i found about christianity was um you know it's a partnership it's a partnership you're not you're never alone and just when you find or think that you're at your worst or most alone is when you're most enveloped by the love of God, uh, which to me is amazing. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's um, incomprehensible is what it is right? to me. I still can't, and I don't think I'm supposed to comprehend it. <laughs> I don't think anybody really is, but it is. So did you, did you grow up with faith at all, Pete? My, my mom was a very committed Catholic. Um, at about 16 or 17, I rebelled um, and walked away from organized faith and religion and, you know, marched to my own beat for about 15 years, did what I wanted. And um, when I met my wife and we got married, my wife actually got saved first. And, um, you know, I, I went to church with her a couple of times and I, I didn't trust the people. They look too happy, you know, <laughs> it was like, what, there's something wrong with you guys. You're too happy. You know, like you're, this guy over here is telling me that, you know, he's having family problems. This guy's, you know, his life is in a mess. But why are you happy? You know, why are, 
why do you look like things are going well for you? And at that point, you know, I actually got into an honest study of, of faith, you know, and, and what, what, what do I believe? You know, that's, I didn't, I didn't know what I believed at that point. And I really researched it for about six months to a year and made a decision that, you know, Hey, this Jesus guy is for real and I'm going to follow him and I haven't turned back and I'm, I'm happy about that. Um, yeah. So how does, how does that play a role in your primary relationships, your relationships with your children and even your relationships at work? How does, how does all that play a role? So, uh, I'd like to say I'm perfect, uh, but I'm not. So usually what it entails is getting up every morning and asking for, uh, forgiveness and asking for direction and wisdom. Um, knowing that if I, you know, I, I've learned one thing in my life, Shane, that when I try to do things, um, I do them wrong. But when I do them with the, the grace of God and with wisdom that's given to me, um, then I usually do them okay. As long as you're, as you're humble uh, and you get up every morning and ask for direction and ask for guidance, uh, then, then things are okay. And yeah. um, I learned it's okay to screw up. You know, I, I'm, I'm really hard on myself. Sure. You know, I want to be a perfectionist, but I learned that when you screw up, um, you can always get back up and always be forgiven. Yeah. And that was the thing to me that set Christianity apart from everything else I ever knew in my life or ever studied is that you don't have to be perfect. You can't be perfect. You can never be perfect enough to gain the love of God. It's a free gift. Yeah, it's grace. Yeah. It's it's he doesn't he doesn't have to give it to us, but he does. You know, my I, I like how you're talking about, and you're obviously in the position that you're in and the success that you've had through your life. You're you're definitely somebody that has to plan things. You have to plan what next year looks like, what five years away for looks like. And that's not only for your business, but also for your family and your personal life. And you know, one of my favorite, and it, it it's taken me years to really understand this. Uh, one of my favorite verses of the Bible that I'm not, I'm not good at pulling out verses of the Bible, by the way, but one of my favorites that I do remember is I believe it's Jeremiah 29, 11. And it says, God, he's talking to Jeremiah and he says, I have a plan for you. And the plan is good. He doesn't say Jeremiah has a plan. He says he has a plan for him <laughs> and plans you, to prosper you and not to harm you. Yep. Exactly. It's my, mm -hmm. it's probably my favorite verse. And I, 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 I actually recite it to my kids in a certain way um, a lot. And so, um, but that's so true is if we just have that faith that everything's going to be okay, everything's going to happen for a reason. And on the other side of it, we'll deal with it as it comes because overthinkers, I tend to be one, you worry about the what ifs, right? What right. if this happens? And I think there's strength in that and it can also be a fault. And so that's I, like, you've really, really learned that. And that's the life that you, you, you live Pete. Good, really good job. It's a great story. Well, I, I appreciate that. The, the one thing I did learn is there's, there's always a bigger meaning, right? So um, you could be going through sickness or have a family problem or be facing your marriage falling apart. Um, and, and know that there's a bigger reason for it and know that you don't have to walk that alone. Yeah. And, um, he's a good God, man. He, he'll never leave you. Right. Right. 
Yeah. Uh, what a great story. So what, what, so you, with your faith and, and I've learned this um, too, is, you know, you, um, how does it relate to your primary relationships? I really like what you shared with me offline a couple of months ago about your primary relationship. Be, I mean, be authentic, be as vulnerable as you want. I'm not going to press you to share anything that you don't want to, but yeah. it, obviously you've gone through things that other people are either going through or have gone through or will go through. And I found that it's very, very helpful to just be authentic and transparent. So um, about 14 years uh, into, into this walk with Christianity, um, my marriage fell apart. And I went through a divorce and what I found through that process was, um, you can, you can talk the talk, but do you really walk the walk? Right. So, so what happens is there's the, well, there's a, there's a, uh, a verse, I believe in Luke about the, the parable of the, the seeds, right? And some seeds are on rocky soil. Some are on soil that's not too deep. And then some really sprout and take root and are never shakable. Yeah. And what I found through that whole process was if you completely trust and you completely allow yourself to be changed uh, and, and be renewed, then you can be that plant, that, that seed that um, is planted in deep soil and continues to uh, develop fruit. And I wasn't that person uh, in my marriage. So um, ended up learning the hard way and having God, having God walk me through some things um, and grow me, mm -hmm. grow me. I, I was blessed to be part of a great church at that time. It had a great pastor who was very patient and very um, detail oriented and spent a lot of time with me. Um, and what ended up happening was three years after the divorce, my, my wife and I actually reconciled and were remarried. So that doesn't happen a lot. And, and here we are, um, you know, eight years after being remarried and going strong, it's not perfect. Uh, we still have to work at it every day, but I don't, I think if you asked her and I know if you asked me, I couldn't picture myself with anybody else. I mean, it's definitely a God story. And the fact that we were able to walk through what we walked through and, and reconcile with each other um, shows that there's hope, especially in this world nowadays, which we live in a drive-through society, right? Um, so, yeah. And so if you don't, if you don't have things catered to you the way you want, then you know what? Put it in drive and go somewhere else and, and get what you away. want. Yeah. Yeah, and, and that's even our society. I think even promotes that. Yeah. Like if you're if you're not happy, just move on. And mm -hmm. obviously, what I want to be very clear. Um, to people about is, um, you know, if there's, a, if there's a, I am such a proponent of marriage, having recently divorced myself, I, I know what Pete has gone through, um, you know, to a certain extent anyway, I don't know as exactly, of course, but if there's abuse in your marriage, if there's um, addictions, if there's continued adultery, you know, those are things I'm not saying to stay in that marriage. I'm just not, and I'm not a pastor. I'm not a preacher. Um, I, that's, these are my own personal experiences. And like, like Pete, through my process, I had an amazing pastor who I call a good friend now and who can, I guess, um, navigate these things way better than me. But I do think that in general, marriage should be intentional. It shouldn't be work. I don't like to call it that, but it should be, you have to act intentionally. 
you have to do intentional things. And it's not, it's not this Hollywood fantasy. If you read first Corinthians, first, um, first, thir- first Corinthians 13, like I'm sure you have Pete with your wife, you know, it, it doesn't talk about a Hollywood romance. It says, you know, love is, love is patient. Love is kind. All those kind of, it's things that we do. It's the verb, it's the actions and how we, and, and how we act. And if, What's great about your story is what's so rare about it is obviously to reconcile like that is that it took two people to say, you know what, I wasn't perfect and how can we develop this together and get better and grow together? Because that's what a marriage should be. You should be getting better and growing closer every day. Yeah. And so that's that's so rare. Usually there's one that's like, oh, no way, I you know – and so good for you. That's a, that's a great story. I'm glad you guys have reconciled. And I think God loves reconciliation. I know he does. He hates divorce, although sometimes it's necessary. And he loves reconciliation. Sometimes reconciliation means getting back together. Sometimes it means just fixing your own life and getting on with what you're willing to because the other person might not be willing. Yeah, so, I, I'll say one, one thing about that, Shane. Um, I firmly believe that God cares a lot more about your relationship with him than he does about your relationship with your spouse. And if you will work on your relationship with him, everything else will work out. Even if your marriage isn't destined for reconciliation. And I, you know, I never, um, I I fully believed um, at the beginning of of my experience that, you know, we were going to be reconciled. And about a year through it, I said, you know, maybe this doesn't just isn't part of the cards. And, you know, two years later, we were reconciled, but God had to move and we had to allow him to move to do that. And um, again, in the drive through society, sometimes people don't want to give give them the space to do that. No, they don't. You know, I would not recommend doing it my way, by the way, to be be completely destroyed and torn down. um, It's not a good way to do it. It's 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 not. But um, sometimes you have to reach rock bottom to know what you do actually have. And Absolutely. a lot of people never reach that rock bottom. Sometimes it's they're alcoholics or they're drug addicts or whatever. They just spin out of control right. and they don't know what rock bottom looks like. And sometimes it's death, you know? So I, I, it's your own journey, Pete. And obviously you've grown through it. And I think that's just amazing. And to listen to God's story and, and uh, reconciliation, I think is, is a huge thing. Again, reconciliation doesn't always mean getting back together. It means maybe it's reconciling with God. And some people, um, are in a marriage where it's probably very, very difficult to reconcile with God. And that's a whole nother conversation that you have to have to have to undo and unravel that it go way, way beyond me. So absolutely. You got to have two parties that are, that are willing to walk that, that, that road. And absolutely the, the majority of the time you don't have that. And so I, I understand mine was a, uh, a unique situation. And uh, look, if we can minister to people, based on what we want, what we went through, then, you know, I'm, I'm happy to do that. Yeah. Well, I, 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 it's a great story. Really, really good job. So thank you. So um, we move on to another topic because I found <laughs> this out about you too. You're into weightlifting as well. Is that correct? I am. I'm, I'm nowhere near as buff as you are, Shane. Um, I, I, I would say I'm more than a dabbler. So I'm in the gym uh, four or five times a week. Mostly because, yeah, well, if I don't, my head's going to explode. Absolutely. (laughs) I need an outlet. And for some people, outlet is running. Um, For some, it's, you know, 
aerobic exercise for me it's throwing weight around i love it yeah um it's a it's a great outlet for me uh i've made some great friends uh through my time at the at the gym that i go to and i just look forward to it i've loved it that's great and so how long have you been doing that uh about seven or eight years um i you know i i used to lift weights a lot when i was younger um got out of it got back into it and now, you know, it's just, I, I'm, I'm in my fifties now, you know, I'm not, uh, I'm not into competing. I'm not going to be the guy that basically gets in a bench press contest. Right. I mean, I'm going to, I'm, I'm trying to stay alive. <laughs> well, you're, you're trying to thrive actually. Yeah. And you can do it even in your fifties and mm-hmm. that, that's great. I mean, cause a lot of people aren't willing to do that. And it's, I agree. I mean, but you know, like, I actually take breaks. I, I force myself to take breaks like a week off or whatever. Oh man, that is so hard to do. I mean, it's necessary for recovery and training and gains and all these kind of things, but I'm the same with you. If I, uh, yeah, if I don't get in there four or five times a week, it's going to be hard for me to be in a good mood and people probably don't want to be around me much. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's uh, it. And I, I have to work out before I go home. I've got to get it out of me. I've got to get the stress of the day out of me spend you know 45 minutes in the gym and then leave and i'm happy good for you good for you well good for you keep training i think that's awesome and so another topic that we i learned from you and it's a great organization by the way i'm going to give shameless plugs here but the organization is called vistage v-i-s-t-a-g-e and it's a a pete can describe it way more than me i'm kind of a newbie in it at this point but uh, it's a leadership organization connecting people all around the world is that is it you uh, for sure the United States is it all around is it globally as well Pete I'm pretty sure it's global um, so, so describe, describe Vistage so Vistage is a, a CEO peer group yeah. so you know when you run a business um, man at there are times when you would really love somebody to talk to someone who has gone through the things that you're going through now. Um, you know, such as COVID, right? So um, I was introduced to this group uh, about two years ago. And the way it works is they have a, uh, a, a coach or a chair, he's called, who's usually a guy who's been an entrepreneur, owned multiple businesses or a business. And he has a group of 10 to 15 CEOs, presidents, managing directors, whatever, whatever the title is, who get together once a month and spend a day together and just talk and process issues and, and getting guest speakers. And, you know, it's um, it's fantastic. It's just great because it gives you the ability to tap into the minds of other business leaders. Um, it's a great value. It's uh, it's something I, I thoroughly enjoy. I, I really love the issues processing part of it because it allows you to see um, that what you're doing or what you're going through that you don't have an answer for. People have already been there and done that yeah. and can tell you how to make it work and, and what not to do. Right. And uh, it's priceless. It, it's priceless. It's like having, having a life coach, um, 15 different life coaches in a room of guys who are multi, multi-millionaires. You know, I, I, the first time I was in a room with these guys, I thought, man, am I out of my league? That guy over there just, <laughs> we sold his company for 250 million bucks. And, 
Yeah. I'm living paycheck to paycheck. And what am I doing here? <laughs> um, and then, you know, a couple months later, he's asking me for advice about something. Yeah. yeah. And that's the great thing about Vistage is you always get to participate. I think that's awesome. Yeah, mm -hmm. I, I've experienced the issue solving. I don't know what to call it. Um, I'm not, I, again, I'm a, kind of a newbie and just dipping my um, toes in the water at this point. But it it is really good to be surrounded by those types of people that have gone through it before. And, you know, I'm connected through the the Boise office now, and it's it's a really, really cool thing that I've seen so far. And there's not many places where you can go where you can talk about those issues in confidence. And it's like, they might not have gone through the exact same thing, but they've gone through enough things to know what the direction to steer you. And that's, you just don't get a lot of advice like that. You just don't, you know? No. Um, so it's, I mean, you, it, could, you can talk to guys at the gym, you know, about stuff, but most of them, you know, may not run their own businesses or, yeah. or, or know how to process, you know, Hey, how do I lay somebody off? Or how do I hire this person? Or who should I hire? Or, Right. You know, how do I keep the doors open in my business or how do I obtain financing? You know, it's so it's a unique outlet. I would I would highly recommend it if you're a business owner or you run a business or if you're a number two guy in a business like I was for years. Um, it's a fantastic outlet. Vistage.com. Yeah, it is. It, definitely check it out. Check mm -hmm. it out. And so, so my last two questions, we're, we're wrapping this up, Pete, and I always ask these, these, these questions. And one of them is, and we've already heard some of your, your trials and your rewards and, and overcoming. And so um, name a time in your life that you thought was a failure, but um, good things became of it. And so what I, what I like to say is I've, I've come to understand that that life really doesn't have failures. Life has learning experiences. But somebody looking up on our lives might say, oh, that was a failure. Or we might even internalize things like a perfectionist kind of sometimes does, oh, that was a failure. But can you name a time in your life that others or yourself thought was a failure, but really good things became of it? And what became of it? Yeah, I could name a hundred of them. <laughs> um, Start wherever. Yeah, I would say, you know, the first thing that comes to mind is, is you know, the divorce. Um, the, the ones who really hurt in the divorce are kids. And I felt like when my marriage fell apart that I was really betraying my kids, that my kids were going to be scarred for life and, and they were hurt. Yeah. Um, but you know, we've, we've, we've become a Phoenix in that, right? We've risen from the ashes and my family's together again. And that's a good thing. Um, Another thing that, you know, was, was a failure on the, on the, the front was being unable to keep all my employees through the beginning of COVID. You know, there's nothing worse than having to, to, to let people go, especially in a situation where you know they're going to have a problem finding a job. Right. Um, it's gut-wrenching. And people don't really understand when you're an owner of a business, you know, you, it kept me up at night. And at that point, I didn't even own the business. I, you know, I just ran the business. But to me, these people were family. Right. And um, it, hopefully, they're all okay. Some of them I, I've kept in touch with, and I think they've all found uh, alternate employment. And I know that we're okay. So um, I knew that at the time it was going to be hard. But looking back, you know, it was really the only thing we could have done. Right. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. It made your company stronger so you could actually grow. And, and, and I, I don't know what would, what good would you, I don't want to put words in your mouth. What 
that's a hard one to find good in, but everything happens for a reason. Right. What good could you find in that? Well, the good was we could make payroll. Um, right. And, you know, it made us leaner and really made us think about how we were going to restaff when the time came. Yeah. Um, you know, we, we lost some good people, um, but we hired some very good people later on to replace those people. And it allowed us to go in some different directions. Um, I would love to have all those people back. Sure. Um, but it's not possible at this point. So, you know, a good thing is you, you, you learn from it. You also learn how to try to build to avoid it again in the future. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. You learned. Yes, exactly. Right. Yeah. Put in safeguards to hopefully that won't happen again somehow. Yeah. Yeah. Diversification, whatever it is. Well, those are great stories. Both those are, are, are great stories with good, good, good endings. And so the theme of this show is never be outworked. And so tell me about a time in your life when you wanted to give up, but you persevered and you just kept going. You didn't want to, can you name one specific instance where you would have that mindset of never being outworked? Yeah, I, I would say it was during the dark days of COVID when we knew we had a strong product and that if we could come up with a way to be a game changer, that we could we could make an impact. And, um, you know, it wasn't me. It was the people who work here who basically refused to give up. And uh, we worked our butts off. And, and like I had people in the lab on Easter weekend last year, you know, running gels, running tests, you know, around the clock, trying to find ways to make things work. Those, those are people, those, that's family right there. Those are people that, you know, you, you go to war for those people because they believe in you. They believe in themselves. They believe in the company and they do everything they can to try to make things work. And so um, I think that was that's probably the thing I'm most proud of is the fact that we, even if it was by accident, um, that we became a game changer in, in a pandemic. <laughs> Congratulations. This little, this little company in Kennesaw, Georgia that, you know, nobody really had ever heard of outside of homogenizers now has a, you know, a place on the world stage. That's, that know, is, power. that is incredible. And yeah. it's, and you know, it, uh, that it, it's why small businesses and now you're part of a, a, a large business and that's perfect, but there's so much innovation and ability to innovate and ability to move quickly and be dynamic that that's why so many small businesses are really the, the engine of the economy. They Absolutely. just, they just are. And mm-hmm. it's, it's because you have that family type atmosphere where people get stuff done. Same in my, same in my organization. It's like, it's a, it's the same thing. And so kudos to you to be a great leader. I, I know you've been there through thick and thin and it's just, it's, it's been, a really, it's a cool story. It's, it's really an American success story. It really, really is. And, um, really, really good job, Pete. Thank you. I appreciate that. Um, I give all the credit to the people who are here. You know, I just was very fortunate to have good people. 
Well, you're a great leader and you've certainly developed them and probably hired them as well. And as kudos, it does take a team for sure. So, so as we wrap things up here, I want to, again, tell you to join me on LinkedIn, join me on Facebook, join me on Instagram. You can find this, this podcast will be edited in about a week or so and be online and available in full version edited on SoundCloud, on YouTube, on iTunes, and also on Spotify, all the places where you can find those things. Just search Secrets of Success podcast with Dr. Shane Needham, and you'll find me, or you'll see at the banner streaming at the bottom of, of, of this show, you'll see that you can also find all that information on my website and more information about me as well, drsneedham.com. Thank you, fans. Thank you, listeners. Thank you, um, viewers. And to our sponsors, thank you as well. We've, we, we continue to get more and more sponsors. Thank you very much. I'm interested. And if you're interested in sponsoring this show, just reach out to me on any of the media and just contact me and we'd be glad to Glad to connect with you and discuss any type of arrangement that you would like to discuss. And Pete, thanks again very, very much. Uh, it's been a great show and uh, let's definitely keep in touch. So glad to know you. I'm glad that our network is 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 big in the globe, but it's actually very small in people. And so thanks again, Pete, for joining us. All right, God bless you, Sean. Uh, Shane. You're a fantastic guy. I'm happy to know you and happy that you're a success. And uh, I wish you all the best. Excellent. Thanks very much, Pete. We'll be in touch. All right, buddy. Take care.